welcome to the Flight Thief Podcast, where we talk about budget travel. I'm Rachel Meyer, your host and founder of Flight Thief, a community focused on making travel accessible. I share cheap flights each week so that you can take the trip of your dreams without ruining your budget. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to episode three of the Flight Thief Travel Podcast. In this episode, we will be talking about journaling and memory keeping. A few weeks ago on Instagram, I put out a poll asking whether or not everyone kept a travel journal. And I did that because I, over the last few weeks, when I've had some more time at home, have been catching up on my travel journals for some past trips. When the results came back, I was really surprised because only 15% of people keep a travel journal. I asked a follow-up question, which was, if you do not keep a travel journal, why not? And I want to share a few of the results. I have always wanted to, but seem to forget to do it. Might start when I start traveling again. What's a travel journal? I have never thought of it until I saw your story, but I'm thinking I'll start now. I have huge regrets not doing one. Would definitely love to start. Honestly, I didn't know it was a thing until just now. Tell me more. That's why the focus of this series will be on travel journaling and memory keeping. I'm really excited for today's episode because I will be speaking with Drew and Danielle West, longtime members of the Flight Thief community. Drew and Danielle will be sharing their methods for travel journaling, as well as a little bit about how they met, their travels, as well as their tips for living and traveling cheaply. Before we get into the episode, I want to give a shout out to Jot Journals, the sponsor of this episode. Jot Journals would be a great place for someone to start who has never journaled before. And that's because they are physical journals that you write in that have prompts in them. So if you're not sure what to write about, or maybe you want to become a little bit more consistent about your writing, this is a great place to start. If you've kept a journal for a long time, this might just be a different approach that you haven't tried before. It's also great for any stage of life that you're in. You could use a jot journal while you're traveling, or you could also use it just as your regular journal. If you're listening to this episode in May of 2020, watch our Flight Thief Instagram because we will be doing a giveaway with Jot Journals later this month. And now, without further ado, let's get into the episode. Thank you so much for being here. Can you take a moment to introduce yourselves? So I'm Danielle West. I'm from the UK. I'm originally from Sheffield. Um, We now live in Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, We've traveled together for three years. I've traveled independently away from Drew as well. And then I was teaching English in Nepal in the Himalayas. And uh, a big earthquake happened and then I met Drew. (laughs) Hi, I'm Drew. I'm from Las Vegas. I grew up here. But like Danielle said, we met in 2015 and we spent pretty much all the time since then traveling all over Asia, um, Australia, New Zealand, Europe. And now we spend a lot of time traveling in our backyard and we're finding so much cool stuff, especially with the lockdown. We've been finding some really cool, like out there spots to get to. So yeah. It's easier in the desert. (laughs) (laughs) Easy to be socially distant. (laughs) Yep. And tell me a little bit about your process for memory keeping, journaling. 
So first, I think what how it started for me is I noticed that there were so many just little details that I missed throughout the day. People would talk about it and be like, I don't even remember that. Or even just like the names of the towns that we went on. It was when we walked the Camino de Santiago. And so every night we were in a different place, every night talking to new people, trying new things. Um, and so at the end of that process, when we were in Santiago, I decided to buy a journal before we headed to Asia. This is the journal right here, this little guy. And awesome. Yeah, and like some of it is it's just like what it was that day for me. Some days it was very like expressive and I'd talk about how I was feeling about that day and you know, the challenges or the joys, most of the joys. And then sometimes it was just like really methodical. It's almost like we got on this train and we got took it for this many hours to get to this place. And so it was just even the process of traveling itself so yeah, it's really awesome to look back at it and pick out those details. This is the, like I, I started writing down every, I said in our message too, I started writing down every name of place that we stayed. And so that's it right there. And even like little knickknacks along the way that you pick up, like I have like all the beer labels. From oh yeah. Asia. And even I got a tattoo while we were traveling and the guy let me keep the stencil. And so the stencil is in there. It's a meditating platypus tattoo. <laughs> As you do. As you do. <laughs> um, so I think the process for me, though, was just to commit to like writing every day and letting it be what it was going to be. And it's hard sometimes to take, to be like, hold on, we're having a good time. Stop and let me write. But I'm so happy that I did take that time because you take in, even in the moment, you take in more of what's going on, I feel like. And one question before we move on, you, you mentioned that you do it every day, even when you are on trips. Is there a time of day that you normally do it? Is it when you're traveling on a bus or is it at night before you go to bed or? I found I would try and do it at first on the, like the buses and the trains, but I found that it was just too hard to write because it's bumpy roads and crazy turns and everything like that. So if you can ride on the bus, God bless you. I couldn't do it. <laughs> And so usually what I did is it would just be at the end of the day, you know, like we've come in from doing whatever it was, maybe before we go and eat dinner, we've taken a shower. We're just kind of having that moment of quiet before we go out again. That's when I would usually do it. And it actually came in handy for us because when we like meet other travelers that were coming from like the different direction, Drew would have like the list of like the cities and like how we got there and like points of interest and we'd like swap information with them as mm. they would go in that direction. So it was like really nice, like to have a beer with other travelers and be like, oh, hold on a minute. I know this place in Miami or wherever. Mm -hmm. um, so that was worked well for us. For me, I didn't journal as such in that way. It's, I like to, I'm more of a like, I'll stare out the window and whatever pops into my head. <laughs> so I would write like, just like simple things, like little quotes that I'd make up or, things that could be added into like poems or like songs or just little like points of interest and um, that would just kind of like pop into my head or if somewhere that I really found interesting that I could write about later on Instagram because we'd use that quite a lot like we'd post pictures on Instagram and tell people like a different way of how to get there um, like when we did we did Mount Bromo in Indonesia and instead of getting a tour we decided to get there ourselves um, which was actually really challenging, but it was really fun. So I wrote about that and just like a bit of insight for the people if they, you know, want to do a different, uh, I guess, cheaper way. So yeah, that's the information we kind of collect. 
I love hearing about these. Um, and it's given me some interesting ideas. I have historically been more of a tactical journaler, like, okay, we went from here to here, and this is what we saw, and this is what I liked, and this is what I ate. Um, but at the same time, and that's really great. And like you said, then you can remember the details. Um, but I strive to be a little bit more of like, this is what I was thinking about. Or um, the only time I think that I was good about that was my trip to Nepal. And I think it was just because there wasn't a lot. Like there was because we're walking every day, but that's literally all, all we're doing. So it's like, here we went from this place to this place. And I just got to sit and think for eight hours. So, um, so that's the only time that I've been a little bit better about that. But, and one thing that you mentioned as well, that, um, is somewhat similar. I've only done this once, but you mentioned how, was it all the hotels that you stayed in? Every town, the name oh, of every town. Stayed in, yeah. And you did take pictures for a while of every room that we stayed in. Yeah. Or every place that we stayed in. I like yeah. that idea. I I did that once. Um, I think it was our first trip when we were in China. And I think it was mostly because I was taking pictures of how hard the beds were. I was like, and another hard bed, and another one. Um, but I never cataloged those. They're just uh, in a folder somewhere. But um, I was thinking also when you mentioned that it jogged my memory um, um, on one of the trips I wrote down every single like mode of transportation so we took a boat here and another boat here and we took a donkey ride here and this bus or um, I think that's what I want to get across is that there are so many different things that you can write about and it doesn't have to be just one thing. Totally. Yeah. It can be as methodical or whatever you, as you like. What I noticed too, that like even from place to place that we went, my journaling was different because mm -hmm. on the same, on the same time I was using this journal, we were in Southeast Asia, just traveling really loose and everything like that. And then we also went and spent a year living in Australia. And I still travel or still maintain the journal in that time. And I found that it was a lot more just normal stuff. You know, it was like a normal, like work was stressful because of this or anything like that, you know? So yeah, from place to place, it definitely changes your style of writing. And what about, have you shared these journals with other people or are they more meant to be uh, a record for you? Um, I have shared parts of it. Like we, like we gave travel advice to people out of it and it's really cool. Now we've started to go back and write little blurbs about events that happened and start to put stuff together and so it's been really useful for that to go back and find like really awesome stories that i wrote down just in the moment so yeah i've shared it a little bit not with like a ton of people if anyone ever asked to read i guess i would be okay with it but <laughs> but it has come in handy for us but you know what? i would rewrite it and make it into a thing put on the coffee table with pictures and things like that that sounds really yeah. cool i think they all have their own utility sort of have you worked on the road or how have you been been able to sustain these long travels? You know, it's easy and it's not easy at the same time. You just have to commit to traveling being a part of your lifestyle. And that's the end result of everything that you do goes, goes towards that. Like when we were saving up, we didn't, I moved back in with my mom. So I didn't have rent that takes care of utilities are gone. I put my cell phone to like the lowest possible plan, sold my car, sold everything in storage units, picked up extra shifts at work. I worked as a bartender in Las Vegas. And so you, you know, you have potential to make a lot of money doing that. Danielle, you did promotions in the UK, which is something, it's a market, I guess it's not really in the US so much, but. Yeah, I was in, so after we met, we spent like five months um, saving back up because we'd obviously 
we'd been traveling, like we met in Nepal and then I went to Sri Lanka and Drew went to France. So we kind of were like out of money at that point. So yeah, Drew was in Las Vegas. I was in London. Um, and I, I just, I was self-employed and I just happened to have like really good work coming at that time. It was five months, good stint. So I saved a lot of money. Um, and then when we met back up again, I guess we just, we just sort of made the plan as if to be like, this is a rough budget of how much we can spend in, you know, on the Camino when we were in Spain. Mm-hmm. And then when we went to Asia and Asia is super cheap anyway, like we didn't really feel like we were, we were always doing something. We never said no, we, if it was a snorkeling trip or whatever, we were always like, yeah, we're going to do it. It was never like an, an issue, but it just meant that we just had to sacrifice some time and um, save up and that be the goal. And but also be really thoughtful with the planning. Like we wanted to go to Italy and after we walked the Camino Santiago, we wanted to go to Italy and we realized that a month in Italy equals three or four months in Southeast Asia. And so it was balancing that out and, you know, deciding to go with the less expensive option. And then I think a big secret a lot of people do, and what we did also is we got working holiday visas in Australia. And so you travel to Asia, which is really inexpensive, travel there. And then you pretty much crash land into Australia, sleep on your friend's couch for a little while until you can get a job, get on your feet. And um, we were able to actually get a lot of work in Australia, save up money. We traveled in Australia also, bought a car. Yeah. Buying a car in Australia is the way to go, really, because <laughs> you end up rent. We bought it for 2500 bucks, slept in it, drove it, and then we sold it for $2,000. Wow. It, we ended up renting it for $500 for three months. And then we got our money back and we went to Indonesia with that. So Uh tell me a little bit more about, I'm curious about the process for getting the work visa for Australia. It's a cool setup. It's so easy. It's like signing up for Facebook. (laughs) You just go, you put in your personal information. You have to like provide some travel past history. You know, right now things may be different. Mm -hmm. They rely, Australia really relies on the, this program. They get a lot of money from taxes. And then a lot of people end up working in farms and things like that. Cause you can extend for a second year by working on a farm. Unless you're American, we can work in hospitality. So there you go. For whatever reason, we got it easy. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's, it's extremely easy. And then I mean, even easier, I would say, is the New Zealand working holiday visa. And you can go, it's the same deal, live and work in New Zealand for a year with the possibility to extend it for another year. And it's free for Americans. At least it was when we signed up for that one. Not for me. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I was going to have it really easy, but I, in New Zealand, I could get a two-year visa, whereas Drew couldn't because he's American. But um, at the time, we just purchased the year. Uh, mine cost, mine was quite expensive. $350 I think. or no, something. I think, I think it was like $250. Hmm. And this Australian one was around that. Around something like that. Um, but yeah, it's it was, and once you get there, like in Australia, I oh, was yeah. working jobs where I'd get paid at like minimum $40 an hour. And you can work straight away. You can, if you want to, she literally worked like the next day after we arrived in Australia. You want to start working, you can start working. Huh? Well, I'm going to do some Googling (laughs) after this. (laughs) Seriously, good work there. And so, I mean, you can really, that's a great way to travel around Asia. And it's so inexpensive to get to Asia from Australia. It's less expensive, less time consuming. We found it to be really useful while we were traveling. It helped us to really extend our trip. And even while we were living in Australia, still felt like we were traveling because we were doing new stuff and seeing new things all the time. Because when we met, I couldn't live in the US without immigration and Drew was the same. So we kind of made this decision 
that we still wanted to travel and that it would be easier to, you know, build a relationship whilst traveling before we can establish where we want to be and, you know, the relationship really. Yeah. So that was kind of how we got to know each other was living out of a backpack. And <laughs> and if you can get along living out of a backpack, I mean, you're golden. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a really intriguing idea. I, my husband and I have loved traveling in Asia. I feel like every other trip we go somewhere in Asia and then there we're like, okay, we'll try somewhere else. And then we're like, Oh, we really miss Asia. So we'll go back. Um, so if we could somehow figure out a way to either be closer or live in Indonesia and just work our regular jobs. That would be the dream. Oh man. Tell us about yeah. it. That's what we want to do also. <laughs> we'll manifest that right now. Yeah. Uh, I'll manifest right there with you. <laughs> <laughs> because the focus of the podcast is on budget travel. Do you have any budget travel tips? Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Okay. Number one, super easy way to save money, public transportation. It's intimidating to figure out, but it's not that hard. You know, this train connects to that train, take this bus and it goes in a straight line and get off if it looks weird. And <laughs> so I, I would say, especially like, you know, if you take, for example, the buses in Bangkok, you can take the train, even the trains are a, a bit expensive, the tuk-tuks and the taxis, that's a whole other thing. You're going to be negotiating. It's a pain. The buses cost six cents and they take you everywhere you want to go. A lot of them even have air conditioning. And so it's a nice little break. And so even if you don't know where you're going and you don't end up going where you want to be, it's a cool experience. So public transportation is a good, it's a good tip, I think. But sometimes this is also landed as in trouble because <laughs> so we were in the um, K Islands in, in Indonesia and we wanted to get to Flores and it was around Christmas time and the flights were really expensive. So there's um, a thing called Pelony Boats there, which all the locals use to like island hop. And some are really nice. One that we got on was quite awful, actually. But we spent like six days on this boat, just like going through Indonesia to get to Flores. Yeah. So it was like $50 for the two of us versus like 100 and something for flights. And even though we look back and it was a really kind of fun experience to like just be on this boat with just like all these people and it's still like it took six days. Yeah. <laughs> How long was it supposed to take? That long. Six days. <laughs> oh wow. Okay. So it's not just, that you got diverted or something. You just kept like we we're in Indonesia island hopping and you keep like this person's like, you gotta go to this island. You gotta go to this island. We kept doing it and we're like, now we're just in the middle of the ocean. And we don't <laughs> want to get out of here. So yeah, another time that I thought we were gonna die. <laughs> we, were, we took like little local boat uh, to this place called Run in the Banda Islands. And normal normally people do like a little tourist like excursion to it just to see it because it's like got old Dutch colonial buildings and it's where Nutberg was um, grown. So, but we decided we wanted to stay on there because there's so much history. So we get on this little rookety boat and as we're like pulling up, well, kind of close to the island, really still in the reef, the engine cuts out and the waves are just going back and forth and sideways as well. So I'm, Drew's on the end thinking he's like Captain Sparrow and I'm like in the middle, like <laughs> this child and this like elderly woman. And I just, I just had it in my head that the boat was just going to go over mm. and I just screamed and I was like, Drew, we're going to die. <laughs> and I cried for like a good half an hour 
And then when we got off the boat, it became the story of the whole island. This old, old woman was just pointing at me every day and laughing at me. <laughs> so you got to balance the budget with public You got to balance the budget. And I think being like open-minded to taking like different routes as well. Yeah. Like we, uh, we flexibility. worked on that. You, you talked about it in your last episode, I think, how if you have flexibility in travel dates and even like destinations, you know, you just are working in a direction, you can save yourself so much money just like that. That's really like a big key. Be flexible, stay flexible. I love the reference to the last episode. That just warmed my heart a little. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that was good for us was uh, I printed out a lot of the immigration, like visa forms, and just had them, like I have a little passport, like like holder that's got other stuff in it and pictures. They can be quite a hassle and it's time consuming. And so like you're saving yourself money just by like having all the information at hand. And then when you get to the visa office, you're like, cool, I've got my form. I've got my pictures, like less stress. Um, so yeah, knowing ahead, researching ahead, it's like, that's not anything to do with budget, but in a way it is because yeah. we messed up we, we, with our Indonesian visas. We wanted to get a two month visa for Indonesia. And every day we didn't have something that we needed and we ended up getting stuck for a week in Bangkok and you know it's more expensive hotel rooms more expensive uh, food transportation everything rather than you know if you get to the countryside that's another tip I guess head to the countryside mm-hmm. see what that's at, like go to small villages where you know you might be a little bit more uncomfortable you'd be surprised how quickly you can adapt but you'll see something different people will be happy to see you and work away work away was good like we um yeah. We were in, uh, in, no, when we were in Laos and then we went through Thailand and we were like waiting out the monsoons before we wanted to go into Myanmar. And my friend in the north of Thailand has a farm. So we, cause we were looking at like work away and just like thinking of ideas of what we could do to save money um, while we could just like stay put for a little bit. So we worked on this pig farm in Thailand for like two weeks and we just helped them out. So it was like meals and accommodation included. Um, so that worked out well for us and it was quite interesting. Yeah, I got good friends out of it. Yeah. I love these tips. Um, and even back to the transportation one, I found that some of those things that don't always work out the way that you would like them to end up being your best stories. So there's something to that. Yeah. Yeah, the best journal stories, I'd imagine. <laughs> Very true. Way to tie it back. <laughs> you know there's a balance of like times when you should hire a guide and when you don't need to hire a guide or you can do something yourself and like you said with transportation it doesn't always work out but that is the cool part of it sometimes Mm -hmm. and so most of the time we wouldn't go on a tour we would just rent a motorcycle or a motorbike and just drive to places ourselves yeah still obviously pay the toll fees we weren't like dodging anything but yeah there was just some times where we just like wanted to just get off and have more time at a place and like avoid the traffic but then a big key thing for us was because we were in because well I was in the Himalayas when the earthquake happened in 2015 so and then Drew came out afterwards so we saw like the devastation in Nepal and how people lost their jobs and so for us it was really important um when we see travelers that are like trekking in the Himalayas that don't have a guide we're like you know you sh- you should in those kind of places the himalayas it's good to get a guide mm-hmm. like you, you you see so much more like we had a sherpa friend who took us out and he took us to his village and took us to all these like just off excursions didn't he and like mm-hmm. all these different like the what things you wouldn't normally see or even know you know they were there 
So they're all like benefits to getting the tour versus not and you know, and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that balancing your own budget as well as supporting local economy. Yeah. And not being kind of tight on yourself, I guess, like if you're in a country and you don't know if you're going to be there again, like you want to enjoy it. You want to like try that dish or have seconds Mm -hmm. or whatever. (laughs) It's good for your soul as well. I'm curious just for my own personal benefit, what was it like to uh, be in Nepal during the earthquake and what, what was the recovery efforts like since you were both part of that? What was crazy is Danielle got, so she was in Chamrong, Chamrong. it's on the Annapurna circuit and Mm -hmm. she got there like three days. How many days before? No, it was the day before. She got there. Oh my goodness. Earthquakes happened. She's unpacking her bag. She probably ate something funny on the flight and was like, (laughs) and that happened. I mean, it was devastating for everybody. And of course, for everything that happened, but I think it's really crazy and heroic. Danielle decided to stay and help Mm -hmm. people. What was it like right after the earthquake? Um, so I, I actually flew into Kathmandu and then I spent a few days in Kathmandu and then made it to Pokhrane and trekked to my village, which is on the Annapurna base camp trek. And so I was literally got there. And then the next day it happened when I was eating some Dalbat. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Dalbat. So good. Um, so I, we all ran out of our guest house, what we were staying in and there was just like landslides coming down and. It was just really surreal. I think I, I, at first it didn't really kick in the severity of, of, of the situation. And I didn't have Wi-Fi for quite a while, so I couldn't contact back home or even know what was happening in the rest of Nepal. But um, I stayed in my village for another, I think, two months after that and stayed. And then when we made it back to Kathmandu, I think it was more of a shock because I'd seen all these places like the Monkey Temple, for example, mm. And now it's just like everything's kind of crumbled and you could see that on the bus when you're when you're coming back in. Um, Still, the roads are out of Kathmandu are messed up from the earthquake. So it affects right. life there still. But I think it, to, to me, it was more how, how people were still not happy, but they had such a good mentality around what had happened. People had lost so much, yet they were still so grateful for what they had. And mm. it was just really like humbling to see. And especially when we were working in the villages like helping them um helping them take down the houses and finding bricks that were still able to be used they would offer us food like they had little food and they'd offer us anything that it had and it just and you know in nepal because you were there when they offer you something you have to eat it and it would i would feel so guilty because it would be people we were taking food supplies into their village and they would be giving us food and you, you want to say, like, don't give it to me. I'm fine. I've got, like, a thing of Cliff Bars in the bus. <laughs> and uh, But it was just, it was really humbling to be around Nepal and to see the people and how they reacted there. And like she said, like, we worked in a village, an old traditional Nawari village, where they couldn't bring heavy machinery in because it would damage the rest of the, the buildings. And so we took down the damaged buildings one brick at a time and it would be the home that a family lived in for three or four generations and they'd be laughing and joking around with us as we were taking their house down you know mm-hmm. i remember the the funniest one is we were trying to pull this pillar the support pillar down to this house and this old old nepali guy is the guy who had built the house was just laughing at us and he's like yeah you're not gonna pull it down i built it too good <laughs> <laughs> yeah the people there are just they're amazing and you know to see the progress too because we've been back two or three times since then but even at the end of that you know stint that we were there 
to see the progress that Kathmandu and the people had made in that time was really nice. And there's still a lot of work that's done, but a lot of good has come out of it. Yeah. So. Yeah. What an interesting experience to have met each other as well. So pretty cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Is there anything else that comes to mind travel related that you think you'd like to share? This has been great. I think as far as like travel goes, it's super important for an individual to get out of where they're from originally and just see other parts of the world. I know it was really impactful in my life and it's, it can be intimidating to like plan out what you want to do and figure out even the first steps. But if you just start saving money, it's easy. And it's not like a month in Asia is guaranteed going to be cheaper than a month wherever you live in the United States. Mm -hmm. Like that's just the bottom line. If you can set up your lifestyle where you don't have a lot of bills back home, you could travel for a long time off of very, not very much money. That's what I would say. Go for it if you want to travel. I think like going with the flow, definitely like having a kind of rough plan just to make yourself feel like you have some infrastructure, but also like allowing yourself to just flow with it and go outside of that. Like, you know, we'd have a lot, we'd have people traveling alongside us a lot of the time, wouldn't we? And we'd kind of follow their path for a little bit mm -hmm. and then they'd come back on ours. And, you know, those were the best like unexpected moments because we flowed another way and it took us down a different path and we went to different countries because of it that weren't totally. on the list. Yeah. So yeah, just keeping an open mind and, um, you know, you get some great memories from that. That's something I didn't realize before I took my first big backpacking trip. We had some, we had a rough plan, but then you meet up with people and they tell you where they've been and you're like, oh, wow, that looks awesome. Um, and I can trace so many of those uh, little diversions that we made to a single conversation that we had in a hostel or on a train or something. Totally. So yeah, yeah. cool. And then also one last thing is, I guess your guidebook is a great place to like get a, a rough idea, like you said, like you said, but the best places aren't in the guidebooks. <laughs> they are. Yeah. Like talk to, yeah. Like just talk to people. Talk to and, people. You know, yeah. even like the people that own your guest house, like in Nepal, because we'd spent so much time in Kathmandu after a while, we were kind of bored of like Tamil and like the restaurants mm -hmm. that we, we wanted to see something different. So we found like this street where a lot of the locals would go and the food was like, it was really good. We found some really cool restaurants like Nuari restaurants and um, yeah, like getting off the beaten path and sourcing out where the information is to, you know, get the recommendations. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. We started with journals and we've hit all sorts of topics and I really enjoyed it. Well, we're happy to talk anytime. Seriously. Yeah. And swap stories. <laughs> I know. That's the best part, truly, for me, is um, getting to hear people's stories. And then I do reflect on my past travels. And it's just a good time. I agree. And thank you to all of the members of the Flight Thief community who have taken the time to listen to this episode. If you would like to support this podcast, you can go to patreon.com and chuck in a buck. Um, we are doing a special offer um, through the end of June, where if you become a first class level supporter of the Flight Thief podcast, you will be getting a free Flight Thief lightweight hoodie. Um, it's my favorite thing. I wear it every single week. Um, so be sure to go to patreon.com and like I said, chuck in a buck. Thanks so much. Mm -hmm.